Don't punt to Geo, your Carolina football show on the Tar Heel Blog podcast, hosted by the TarHeelBlog.com on the SB Nation Podcast Network. It's mid-July. Everybody has their Phil Steele or their Athlon magazine. It's time to start talking about the 2019 football season in earnest. We're not going to limit ourselves to Carolina, the ACC, or the Southeast as we get y'all ready for the football season. Joining me to preview the Pac-12 is our West Coast correspondent extraordinaire, Jacob Cowden. Jacob, what's the good word? It's 109 degrees in Scottsdale right now, so <laughs> so just staying cool. Oh man, yeah, that is an adventure. I we we delayed about 30 minutes so I could walk my dog. So I am uh I am sitting in a little bit damper of a heat, but hey man, dry heat, right? Right, yeah. Just go to the pool and you're usually fine out here, which is the nice part. Yeah, as long as the pool doesn't evaporate. Um, so Jacob, we're going to talk some Pac-12. Um, and just, uh, as a programming note, we are going to come back and knock out the Big Ten, Big 12, uh, SEC, ACC, and perhaps just the group of five as a whole as we get ready for football season. But you live out in Pac-12 country, so definitely wanted to start here and, you know, kind of let them get more relevant as they go. But what is your, Overall takeaway on why the Pac-12 has been so bad at everything over the past couple of years. Uh, Washington was the last playoff team back in 2016. They're not making the NCAA tournament in basketball. They're not really putting forth any competitive teams in football. What's going on? Well, you know, the part of the thing with the Pac-12 is it all starts with Larry Scott. I think we're going to rag on him. But they put such an emphasis in, in the Pac-12 offices in San Francisco on not just being – a conference, but being a media group as well. Larry Scott, the commissioner, he considers himself both the commissioner of the Pac-12 and the president of the Pac-12 network, which as a network has its own issues. But a lot of the schools, and this is part of the Pac-12 network, where they focus so much on Olympic sports like like tennis and swimming, uh, track, that, and that's what's on a lot of the Pac-12 network. And a lot of the, the Pac-12 school presidents like UCLA, Stanford, USC, um, all those Olymp- Washington, all those Olympic sports are extremely important to those schools. So, and that's part of the problem is that if you're looking just in a vacuum of football and basketball, you know the, the money makers. Then the Pac-12 needs to make some big changes. But for the other sports in big picture, uh, some of the some of the school presidents, not all of them, but some of them have been okay sacrificing some of that for for the Olympic sports and. It's creating, you know, the, the Pac-12 doesn't make as much money in the in the media rights. It, those programs don't make as much money, especially as the Big Ten or the SEC. Um, and we're seeing that play out in the football field. Um, so big picture Pac-12-wise, that's, I think, part of the problem is the, the older school presidents are more focused on, on Olympic sports and less focused as I think they should be on, on football and basketball, which makes the most money. And Larry Scott seems focused mostly on being just a Silicon Valley millionaire, really, it seems to be the issue. Um, the rent for the Pac-12 offices is just just ridiculous. I, I think I saw a figure well into the millions annually. Um, and, you know, I, I think what they're doing could play out in the long run where, you know, they control their own networks, they control everything that, all of their output. Um, it's definitely a long play and it's one that was probably more exciting about five years ago than it is in reality now, but 
It's interesting, and it has translated to a couple of down years on the football field. Um, I guess we can start big picture, and we're going to get into breaking down teams, but is it really just a matter of USC and UCLA and Oregon after, you know, different fits and starts and showing some promise uh, over the course of the past decade? All three of those teams have been down, and Washington's picked up the slack a little bit, but what does the Pac-12 need to do to kind of get its uh, football ducks in a row? Well, no Oregon I think pun intended. USC needs to pick it up because I think USC, maybe more than any other program in any other conference, is the flagship program in that conference. And when USC's down, the whole conference is down. Part of the problem with the Pac-12 is that, except for Oregon State, you can really lose. Anybody can lose to anybody, and it's not really a surprise. Like last year, Oregon went down to Tucson, Arizona and lost by about 40. And it wasn't that big of a surprise, even though Oregon was in a shot to, um, they had beaten Washington just a, a few weeks before that. And Washington, a couple years ago, they lost to Arizona State down in Tempe, Arizona. Um, and that loss cost them with a, they played nine game conference schedule with, you know, most of them don't really schedule that big out of conference games. So that one conference loss put, them behind the eight ball in terms of like getting into the playoff and Larry Scott's been okay he's on record saying you know the Rose Bowl is is an incredible bowl game which it is but he's been complacent about trying to make changes to get into the playoff yeah and you look at talking about USC as kind of the headline program which it absolutely is Uh, last time they were really nationally relevant they started out getting beat 52 to 6 by Alabama uh started the season 1 and 3 before riding the ship and ending up in that Rose Bowl where they uh edged Penn State in a classic but then they started out the next season ranked number 4 and kind of stumbled until Washington State beat them at Washington State and I'm going to get I'm my next question is going to be about Pac-12 after dark but it just always does seem like there is no such thing as a sure win in this conference. And, you know, you can point to n- numerous specific examples of, oh, well, they went to Berkeley at night and they didn't come out with a win or they went to Corvallis or they went to Boulder. Um, it, It's just kind of wild. But, Jacob, what's your favorite Pac-12 after dark moment, which is, um, again, for those uninitiated, the games that start when – most reasonable people on the East Coast here have gone to bed. Uh, so we're talking like your 10, 30, 11 p.m. kickoffs on the East Coast. I have stayed up for many a random Washington State Cal football game. Yeah, I think, well, last year I think during the Utah-Washington game, that might have been the worst Pac-12 after dark moment. That was a, a terrible game. But one of my favorites, uh Stanford-Oregon, I think I was like a junior in college, so like three or four years ago, is when Christian McCaffrey. It was during his incredible, like record-breaking year, but um, Oregon, like it was back and forth the whole game. Oregon missed like two field goals in the last three minutes, I think, something like that, to lose the game. So I don't remember the whole game, but I just remember watching that, just thinking, how is Oregon blowing this? And also, I'm a big. Um, when I was little, my dream was to play football at Stanford. They don't recruit a lot of five ten white guys, so I've always been partial to them, though. Um, so that was my funnest game. The worst game, though, I think, was that Washington-Utah game last year in Salt Lake City. Uh, the Washington-Utah game last year, in, in, I, I, I mean, 
the Pac-12 title game was even more painful. But, um, yeah, yeah ne- neither one of those were uh, exceptionally uh, great football games. Uh, Washington won that one 21-7. And I, I remember watching that one thinking, man, Utah is just blowing so many opportunities. Like, uh, Washington just kept turning it over. Utah had the ball in uh, Washington territory like five or six times and just could not do anything on offense. It was brutal. So I remember that one pretty well as well. Um, let's, let's get this rolling and let's start with Washington. They've kind of been the, they've kind of been carrying the flag for the Pac-12 here the past few years. Uh, like I said, went to the playoff and lost to Alabama as the first round sacrificial lamb back in 2016. Uh, Jake Browning's gone. Jacob Eason steps in. How do you feel about the Washington Huskies, uh, coming into 2019? I think they're going to win the conference again. Um, I think Chris Peterson is a top no spoilers 5'10 there. coach in the country, and I think he's the best coach in the Pac-12. Um, you know, his first year at Washington, I think they are like 7-5, and 8-4, and four, something like that. And ever since then, he's been reeling off just really incredible seasons. Um, the biggest watch on top of Jake Browning losing a four-year starter, I think that won't be as bad because of how talented Jacob Eason is. Um, and as a, he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school as a Georgia fan, you, you're pretty familiar with him. I think, I think a bigger loss is going to be Miles Gaskin, who mm-hmm. was a running back last year. He had like three consecutive 1200 yard rushing seasons. He's the all-time school record holder for total rush yards. They have enough talented players to replace him, but I just think having that one guy, I think he just did everything so well and was underrated during his time in college. I think that's going to be the bigger hole to feel on top of they did lose Taylor Rapp, their um, All-American all safety, and also Byron Murphy, who was a second-round pick to the Arizona Cardinals as a cornerback. Um, so I think their secondary and their running back, they got some some replacing to do. But other than that, I think they have probably the second-best defensive line in the conference besides Utah. So short answer, I think Washington uh, wins the conference again. Yeah, they've got a lot to replace on defense. They lose uh, six of their top seven tacklers from last year. Um, ben Byrne Curvin had a total of 176 tackles last year, which is just absurd. Um, but you are absolutely right in my familiarity with Jacob Eason. I think he's going to add a dynamic of explosiveness to the Washington offense that they did not really have under Browning. And, you know, Chris Peterson's offense has always kind of been tailored to the talent it has and then you know very multiple in what they do but I'm not so much concerned about them losing Miles Gaskin uh, just because everybody that is coming back average more per carry than Gaskin but I can see Jacob Eason you know really not being talked about as an NFL draft candidate kind of emerging and having a situation where we have two Pac-12 North quarterbacks taken in the top 10 picks this year um, and I think I agree that Washington's probably the best team in the Pac-12. But we should probably talk about the other team that uh, has a rocket-armed quarterback. Uh, we go down to Eugene, Oregon. We've got Oregon. Um, Justin Herbert, for some reason, decided to come back. I think uh, winning that uh, Michigan State Bowl game in the manner that they did was probably a little bit of motivation because I think they won that, what, like 13-7 to 7 or something? Yeah, that was another um, one of those. I was really excited about the game. It was kind of a, a dud by the end of the game, but hey, it was a dud all throughout the game, man. Um, Phil Steele's got Oregon 
winning the Pac-12 North. I don't think I agree with him on that. I think you and I are in lockstep that Washington's the team to beat. But tell me what you can about Mario Cristobal's program. Well, he's been – he was actually, I think, rumored as a possibility to take over Miami because that's where he coached under Nick Saban when he was at Alabama. He uh, played at Miami, but he decided to stay in Eugene. And there's a bunch of buzz around Oregon. He had the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12 this year. I think it was uh, top five in the country. Definitely top ten, but one of the like top recruiting classes in the whole country. As far as this year goes, Justin Herbert, I – He's as talented as can be. Like, there's some throws he makes that are just, like, a throw last year in the Washington game he made. It just blew my mind, like, how accurate and, and talented his arm is. Um, there are some moments where he does make some mistakes. I think he trusts his arm too much. So, I think, I'm not as high, and I still think he'll be a top 10 pick, but I don't think he's as talented as, like, two or Trevor Lawrence, or obviously, and some people would put him on that pedestal, especially in Eugene. Um, but they're, they're talented. They have, I think, one of the best offensive lines in the Pac-12. So they're, they're, a lot of people think Oregon just pass the ball around spread offense, but they're a run focused team. Um, it helps that they have Justin Herbert as well. So I think they're going to be dynamic and they're the team to beat. But that Washington Oregon game is in Seattle, Washington. Uh, last year it was in Eugene and Oregon ended up winning in overtime, but I think Washington will win that game and which will give them the nod in the Pac-12 North, partly because it's in Seattle. Yeah, and even if Oregon were to somehow manage to win that game, I just trust Washington more to uh, win the rest of their schedule. Like, I could totally see a situation where Oregon goes to Washington, gets the win, and then just blows two random games. Uh, I mean, they followed that up with a home game against Washington State, then on the road at USC. I could honestly see them just blowing those two. Um, but Oregon, you know, they, they brought in the top recruit in the country, Kayvon Thibodeau, who will help the, their defensive line. And I love me some CJ Verdell at running back. And you make a good point about their offensive line. So Oregon's definitely a team on the rise. Uh, w- would you kind of agree that they are probably 1B to Washington or do you think they're a clear second as opposed to, you know, kind of interchangeable? I'd say they're, they're 1B, um, partly because of the talent you mentioned. I think, you know, they got a, Washington has a better coach, better culture. Um, I, like you said, Oregon is more, they're more prone to blow games that they should win where Washington, that's not really going to happen. But I think talent wise, they're as good as Washington or right behind Washington. So that alone, I think matters a lot in college football. So you put them at a 1B, but. I'd be shocked if they did win the Pac-12 North this year because of I'm I'm pretty high on Washington. Jacob, tell me about Oregon State. Um, I have probably not seen an Oregon State football game in about six years. I know I listened to some of the Civil War on the way home from the UNC NC State game last year, but I I mean they're probably the most anonymous Power Five program in the country right now because at least if you're Kansas or Rutgers you're hilariously bad enough to where you still get play on ESPN. Um, but tell me about Oregon State under Jonathan Smith. Yeah, it's frustrating. Ever since Mike Riley left, they've been I feel like searching for an identity. It's hard in their own state. They're trying to keep up with Oregon, who's you know one of the flashiest big time programs in the country. Uh, after Mike Riley left, Gary Anderson, and I might be a little off on the timing here, but Gary Anderson uh, left Wisconsin to coach Oregon State, and a lot of people 
in the Pac-12 thought he was going to be one of the best coaches because he went to three straight Rose Bowls with uh, Wisconsin, and he just couldn't get it going. And it's hard to recruit in Corvallis. I think the only reason Oregon is as good as they are is because A, Eugene's like such a you know famous college town, but B, obviously Nike has such a big impact on their uniforms and on the football culture and on the university as a whole. Corvallis, Oregon, it's far away from airports. Like you said, they're infamous. Like there's not a lot going on there. They don't get a ton of nationally televised games. And I think really they're the only team in the Pac-12 that is struggling. And I think every other team has at least some sort of an identity where Oregon State, they've just been trying and can't get it going. Where they were good under Mike Riley back in the the 2000s. But I don't, I honestly don't know what they need to do to, to get back to at least ball eligibility. Yeah, I'm kind of writing them off this year. Uh, they got one Pac-12 win in the last two years, and they do not have Colorado on the schedule this year. So it's going to be uphill sledding, especially in this uh, Pac-12 North where everybody else is pretty good. Because while we're staying in the Pacific Northwest, let's talk Washington State. Uh, Mike Leach is always going to put a fun product on the field. And they went 11-2 and last year, which is just absurd to me. Um, you know, if – if they could have gotten their offense going in the snow at uh at home against Washington, they would have they could have very well won the Pac-12. So, tell me about Washington State. Yeah, and that um they they could have won the Washington game. The USC game, they actually there were a couple targeting calls, one that got called on Washington State and one missed call on USC where you know, Mike Leach was really upset about that and Washington State fans should have been. They were, they were really upset. So they could have, they're one game away from winning, winning the conference or at least being competitive in it. They're replacing, uh, their quarterback. Shoot, I can't, uh, Chase. Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew was his name. I can't believe I was based on that, but so they're replacing him. They brought in a, a transfer from Eastern Washington named, uh, Chase Gubred. I might be, pronounced or Gage Gubred um who had I watched a little bit of his highlights from Eastern Washington I think he's going to fit in really well at Washington State some people I talked to close to the program said is he hasn't won the quarterback battle but he's expected to to be the starter but I actually put them right above Oregon State just because I think Cal's going to have a big year so I have him finishing fifth only because they're replacing Gardner Minshew but yeah Mike Leach has done uh, a really good job up at Washington State. And their recruiting is still not like USC or Oregon, but it, it has gone up. Because when I was growing up, Washington State was the Oregon State of the, the yeah. 2000s, and they've had really quite a turnaround. Yeah, and they're not going to recruit on the level of Oregon or Stanford or even Washington. Um, but they do have scheme that's going to make up for some of that talent differential. You know, they can – hit the JUCOs and the three stars pretty hard and just get Mike Leach guys. I mean, if you just go back to his time at Texas Tech, they always had the one slot guy that would murder you Ryan Switzer style for like 13 catches and 161 yards. Um, Definitely probably have a few of those options on the roster as they bring back five of their top six receivers from last year. Um. Jacob, you know what's fun is when the sixth leading receiver on a team has 53 receptions in college football. <laughs> um, so if Gubrud or Gubrud or however we want to pronounce that does pick up the offense, which I think uh, Minshew kind of shows that it is not so difficult to do, and we could probably put a bookmark in that and come back to it as it relates to UNC's offense uh, down the road. But um, 
Yeah, I, I don't think Washington State's going to miss a step on offense, really. Uh, defensively, they bring back eight starters. I'm a little bit higher on them. I think they're probably, you know, one, one of those teams that has some upside more so than the flashiness of a Washington or an Oregon. I think I'd probably take them as a, man, let, let, let's call it third uh, in the Pac-12 North for the time being. Yeah, and I but think said, Washington State, there's one of those teams, like, playing in Pullman, Washington, um, is, I think their stadium's only about 50,000 or so, but it's loud, one of the best, I'd say top three to four home atmospheres in the Pac-12. So, like, last year, Oregon went there, or maybe it was two years ago, but Oregon went there after a huge win and lost by, like, 30. So anyone going there can can lose. You mentioned the USC loss with Sam Darnold a couple years ago that kept them out of the mm-hmm. playoffs. So, yeah. Um Definitely, it's so close in the Pac-12 North, honestly, with all the teams. So, like, any team could finish. I think really not a lot. I think anyone could finish second to fifth out of the Oregon, Stanford, Cal, Washington. I wouldn't be surprised at any order. I mean, honestly, Maybe one Cal through five, you surprise could... me, actually. Yeah, that, that might surprise me a little bit. But uh let, let's go ahead and talk about Cal, I guess, because that's a program I'm a little bit more familiar with, having uh, gone out there last year. Um Justin Wilcox has assembled a defense overnight, and it's really kind of funny to just look at their um, previous year's history where they had a top 10 offense and a bottom 10 defense under Sonny Dykes pretty consistently. And within two years, Wilcox has completely flipped that on its ear where now their offense is god-awful, but their defense, uh, Phil Steele calls their secondary the best in the country. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go best in the country, but their Justin Wilcox, I think, was a fantastic hire for them. The Sonny Dykes and even uh Tedford before them, I just felt like how could they were so close. And they're um I don't think they get enough credit because Stanford everyone talks about Stanford, the academic challenges of recruiting there. But but Cal's really difficult Cal's kinda like UCLA where it is a really hard academic school to get into even as a football player. So they do have some mm-hmm. recruiting limitations, but you went out there last year. You saw it's such a pretty campus. It's like a 15, 20 minute train ride from San Francisco. Uh, it's, they should be, I think, as good or better than they are. So I think Justin Wilcox, um, you know, last season ended there with the Cheez It Bowl against CC, which is like one of the w- best, worst bowl games of all time. But He's yeah, fantastic. they, um, they don't have a great home field advantage. I think the stadium's like never that full unless it's maybe like a USC game or something like that. But I think if they can get better, more consistent quarterback play, you know, manage some of the games, let their defense do the work, they could be, they could pull some offsets this year. Yeah. The biggest issue for them is just their schedule, man. Um, they open with UC Davis, but then they go to Washington in week two. Uh, they get North Texas at home in week three. And that is one of the better G5 teams in the country with uh, old friend Seth Luttrell. Then they're at Ole Miss, home against Arizona State, at Oregon, get a bye week, Oregon State. Then they, uh, in the last five games, they have Utah, Washington State, USC, Stanford, and UCLA, three of those games on the road. Um, if for no other reason than that, you know, where a lot of those, a lot of the tougher games are on the road and maybe skews it a little bit in the opponent's favor. Failing that, I would say Cal could have been a dark horse, but I think the schedule means they're still one year away with uh, that crappy offense. Yeah, I think they'll get a couple – like, I think they'll win, like, a couple games that they shouldn't win, 
But I think it is going to take Wilcox maybe one more year of recruiting. Yeah, the offense, they, they have some talented players. They have one or two good receivers, I think. But the the quarterback play last year, they were kind of two or three guys rotating around. They just couldn't really figure that out. If they can just find a guy, whoever that is, I think in a couple of years Kyle's going to be um, at a tier or two higher than where they are right now. Yeah, and from last year, I don't really see the offense improving. Uh, Chase Garbers is back, and, you know, he, he showed flashes, but they lose pretty much all of their skill position players, uh, replacing uh, two-fifths of the offensive line, but the defense actually gets even stronger. Uh, Cameron Good, who missed the season last year and was kind of their headliner uh, going into the 2018 season, he's back. So I think you're right in that Kyle's probably going to upset a top 10, top 15 team. Um, did you go outside? Oh no, there's um, a bird at my window though, but I'm not outside. I'm trying to close it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I just heard this cacophony right quick. I was like, hmm, what is that? So one, yeah, one, no, I did sure lock my were... cat out, but a bird came by, so I just closed my window. <laughs> Well, uh, the cat would be happy to deal with the bird, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if that is, if that stays in the podcast, which, uh, let's see, 25 minutes, I can edit that out. Um, let's see here. I'm just going to do a quick commercial break. Well, no, because we got Stanford. Okay. Uh, remind me to edit this out when we're done. Um, all right. So Cal could definitely spring an upset of a top 10, top 15 team uh, if the Pac-12 provides them that opportunity. But let's uh, go ahead and stay in the Bay Area and talk about Stanford. Um, KJ Costello is still there. Uh, Bryce Love, who was the preseason Heisman winner last year, is no longer there. Um, but he had just a really disappointing senior season. I don't really feel like I have as good of a grasp on Stanford as I do the rest of this division. Yeah, I have Stanford high just because I think Costello, I, I have him actually as the second best quarterback in the conference, but I have Herbert at one. I think Eason could take that one or two spot really easily, but as of it is right now, I have Costello at Stanford as the second best guy. Um, I think he's one of those guys who, who does everything really well. Perfect quarterback for Stanford coach David Shaw and what they want to do on offense. Uh, they're known in the conference. They've actually, Washington kind of took over this for them, but Stanford for years has been the most physically dominant run imposing team. And it helped when they had Christian McCaffrey and Bryce Love back to back. Uh, yeah. I don't think they have the talent to hang with Washington or Oregon this year, but I think the, the, I have them at third just because of how good Costello is. And I think David Shaw is the second best coach in the, the conference behind Chris Peterson at Washington. Yeah, for me, Stanford just, I always feel like Stanford's going to beat Oregon and they're going to beat USC and then they're just going to kind of fall off the uh, consciousness after that. But they're, they're replacing a lot of their offensive lines. So a lot of that, um, or a lot of the run game issues that they had last year still may be manifesting. I, I, I think you're right that KJ Costello is at worst underrated, but they're losing a lot. You know, really at all three levels on the defense too. So I, th I think they're probably solidly my fourth team in the Pac-12 North. Although, you know, them and Cal could be a really fun, the game this year. Yeah. And that game, that's been a really one-sided and, and kind of boring rivalry. My dad grew up, um, a Cal, like from the Bay Area. His family's a Berkeley family. So that was kind of part of my childhood growing up, but it's just been not as fun to watch the last few years. So hopefully. 
they can both have at least good seasons so there's something on the line or, or at least it's a meaningful game because it is one of the better rivalries in college football when both teams are are on track. Yeah, and Cal's kind of been the victim of some bad luck. Uh, they've lost at least the last five, but um, only 17-14 to 14 in 2017, uh, 23-13 last year. But, yeah, I mean, if, if Cal gets that offense going, then maybe this is the year. Jacob, just while we're kind of transitioning over to the south, um, what we're going to do is take a quick ad break, and we will be right back. And we're back. Jacob, quick non sequitur put you on the spot here. How many Pac-12 stadiums have you been to? I think I've been – so I've been to Rice-Eccles and University of Utah. been to both Arizona stadiums, so Arizona and Arizona State. I've been to USC, um, Cal, Stanford. Um, I've been to the Rose Bowl, but not for a football game, so it won't count that. So what is that, one, <laughs> two, three, five, I think? Okay. That's not bad. Uh, what, what's next, next on the list for you? I'd have to think Oregon. Yeah, I want to go Oregon or Washington um, or Boulder, Colorado, I've heard. Really cool stadium. Colorado football, not so much, but Boulder's a dope city. So I'd say Oregon, Washington, or Boulder is on the wish list next. Yeah, I have laid eyes in person on Stanford Stadium, on uh, Folsom Field in Boulder, on the Rose Bowl, and on, let's see, one more. And uh, on Sunday, Sun Devil Stadium, but I've only been to a game at Cal, so I, I need to step up my Pac-12 game a little bit here. But maybe if there's like a good uh, Thursday-Saturday combo somewhere in the Northwest, maybe we'll uh, we'll plan and take a trip and do some research for Tar Heel Blog, and maybe they can pay us, right? Yeah, you know, put it on the company card. I um, I'm going Absolutely. to the USC Stanford game in LA this year because that's on a, I think a fr- Saturday and then the day before the San Francisco Giants are playing the Dodgers. So if you're not doing anything early September, want to meet me in LA? Man, the Tar Heels have so much going on in September that I'm already kind of booked up for that. Uh, I'm I'm on the schedule for at least six football games uh, before September ends. <laughs> but I'll get back to you in August. Um. Let's talk about the Pac-12 South, uh, probably the worst division in Power 5 this year and last year and the year before, although the ACC Coastal always has a claim to that crowd, as does the Big Ten West. But I feel like the Big Ten West always kind of slides by on that. Um, Utah won the division last year, and I think you and I agree that Utah is going to run away with it this year. Yeah, Utah, I tried to, cause I'm from Salt Lake City. My mom actually teaches at University of Utah. So I, I actually like fell in love with football under that first Urban Meyer team that went to the festival, but I tried not to be biased. I tried to think of a way USC could win the conference and Utah just returns too much. They have Jalen Johnson, who, um, I think is the best cornerback in the conference. They have the best, they return the leading Pac-12 sack leader, Bradley Anai. Um, they have the best defensive tackle in the conference, and honestly, the the defensive tackle spot is five deep for the University of Utah. They have Zach Moss, their running back. I think he's at worst top two running back, as well as Eno Benjamin at Arizona State in the conference. Um, they mm-hmm. don't have a, a number one guy at receiver, but they do have a really deep receiving core. Um, the USC they play USC and Washington on the road, which I think, but those are the only two games they're not favored in. Um, so I see Utah running. I think Utah will win this year. I think they'll be better than they 
better than they were last year, which again won the division. Yeah, and they went nine and five last year. Uh, lost to both of the Washingtons. Had a random Pac-12 after dark loss to Arizona State when they had climbed to 16th in the polls, and then you know that miserable uh, Pac-12 championship game where they lost 10 to three. But you mentioned Zach Moss. Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley missed that Washington game round two. So Utah not only brings back a whole lot of talent on defense, but also a bunch of guys who missed about half the season on offense. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they lost both of those guys during the Arizona State uh, upset. Yeah, so I was actually at the Arizona State-Utah game because it was down here in Arizona. So Huntley got hurt in the game, and Zach Moss actually got hurt in practice the week after. If I'm not mistaken, okay. but from that point on, they were playing backup quarterback and backup running back. So I think it was like four or five games, but they beat Oregon, beat Colorado to so wrap up the South, then beat BYU with the backup quarterback and backup running back. Question, is Britton Covey the same uh, Covey, or is that like a younger brother kind of in a Shipley situation? Um, Brit- Britton Covey, this, who's the original one? Uh, yeah, is he the original Covey? Because I feel like he's been there forever if he is, and he's so he um, junior. So after his freshman year, he went to Chile on a Mormon mission for two years. So it ah. is the same one, but that's a really famous family. I actually played against his older brother in the state championship in Utah, and I watched Britain in the state championship when I was in college. I just went to the state game, but so it is the same one. But it feels like he's been there a while because he went on a two-year Mormon mission after his freshman year. And I remember a game his freshman year where he was the target of pretty much every ball thrown. And um, whoever the quarterback at Utah was at that time was going to get the four guy killed. Uh, there's somewhere down my Twitter timeline, there is, please, uh, you know, there, there was me considering starting a GoFundMe for Britton Covey. Um, so really tough guy. You know, I already mentioned a Ryan Switzer comp earlier, but I mean, that guy is basically Ryan Switzer. Uh, catches everything. Little diminutive guy, but really fun player to watch. So Utah, yeah, I mean, I think they're the class of the Pac-12 South, and that's just a really weird position to be in. Um, let's talk about what's normally the class of the Pac-12 South. Let's move over to Los Angeles, California, where uh, USC has a new offensive coordinator in Graham Harrell. And, you know, it's not Cliff Kingsbury, but it's probably a little bit better of a situation for the Trojans. Yeah, I love the Graham Harrell hire. I remember, oh, you know, that Texas, Texas Tech game where Michael Crabtree scored the winning touchdown. That was my like first introduction to Graham Harrell back in the day. But I watched as part of preparation for this, I was watching the North Texas, uh, game against Arkansas last year. And I just love what they do on offense. I think as much as it is in, as it is an air raid offense, they, they really do put an emphasis on the run game. So it's going to be a balanced yeah. offense and JT Daniels, the USC quarterback. So last year he was a freshman, but he reclassified, so he should have been a senior at Matter Day High School. I think, uh, you know, another year of being in college and in this offense, I think is really going to help. And I think if anyone does win the conf- the division that's not Utah, I think it'll be USC because of the talent. You know, last year they didn't recruit as well, but the years before that they had uh, two number four classes and the number 10 class in the country. So there is a lot of talent on that USC roster. And I think with Graham Harrell coming in, kind of revitalize the offense, I think they're going to be better than a lot of people think they will be. Yeah, I think for 
Well, for me and you, as we're picking Utah, I think it's just a trust thing uh, with Clay Helton because they went on the run with Sam Darnold, but they opened that year one and three because uh, Helton didn't realize that Darnold was the man. And, you know, on paper, USC definitely has the most stacked roster in the Pac-12. I mean, just looking at their receiving core between Amonra, St. Brown, Tyler Bonds, and uh, Michael Pittman, those guys were all top five receivers in their respective classes, so their offense could be just absolutely devastating. But I just don't trust them until until you see it. Um, they always seem to kind of stumble through that uh, Stanford game early in the season. But even before that, they open with Fresno State, and then after that, they go to BYU. Um, I mean, there is a real possibility that USC could open one 1-4 one or 0-5. Oh yeah, no, and all those Fresno State's, uh, if when we get to our group of five preview, we can talk about Fresno State, but Fresno State's good. Stanford game, it, it's in LA this year, but you know, that doesn't really matter as much. So they, as far as the Helen thing, the people I've talked to and on my podcast one time, I had Yogi Roth, which, you know, you actually talked to me yeah. about that, but. He talked about Clay Helton and people, he coached at USC a little bit. People within the program love Clay Helton. He is a player's coach, but you do have to take a step back and look at big picture. Like when he hasn't had Sam Darnold, it has kind of been a train wreck. His record without Sam Darnold at quarterback is, you know, close to 500 off the top of my head. So they have everything going for them. I think except head coach, which does worry me. And I don't know if Clout Helton is the guy at USC. He, he'd probably be good at a lot of places, but USC, there's such a high expectation. And really, if they don't win the conference, that's a disappointment there as it should be. So I think Helton is on the hot seat and that's going to affect the team as well. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they either, I, I feel like the over under, he, he has to win at least eight games to keep his job. And I would say if they didn't have Lynn Swan as athletic director, if you had a person in that role based on merit as opposed to USC ties, that uh, over-under might be nine or ten wins. Yeah, USC, kind of like the Lakers out there. I don't know what it is in L.A., but they try to keep everything in-house as much as possible, which, you know, for some part is good and beneficial, but also you should really just get the best guy and not the best USC guy. It does limit you from a lot of great hires and great coaches that you could have and athletic well, coaches for that matter. Well, North Carolina has definitely been there before. Um, thinking back to the Dick Bedore era and the Matt Doherty hire and the John Bunning hire. Um, so yeah, I, I think we understand the arrogance that is at play there, but maybe with Carol Folt who righted the ship at US at UNC, uh, she's now at USC. So, Hey, you know, always some parallels there. So maybe USC yeah. is about 10 years away from getting their heads out of their asses. Um, while we are in LA, let's talk about UCLA. Uh, they went three and nine in Chip Kelly's first year. I'm not super enthused by the whole Chip Kelly 2.0 experience. Is there any way you can talk me off the ledge about UCLA? You know, the only thing they, do have going for him is Dorian Thompson Robinson, their quarterback. Uh, he's going to be a sophomore this year. I really like him, liked him a lot in high school, but UCLA, they, you know, there's a lot of pessimism around that program. There's been, um, anonymous players. So I guess you never know how accurate these are, but they've talked about how, how arrogant is the word they use. Chip Kelly is. He's, he doesn't even know some of the players names. Uh, recruiting wise, UCLA offered the least amount of players in the country. And, and yeah. even less than Stanford, which is never should happen. Um, 
and they had a terrible recruiting class because of it. Like part of the reason Chip Kelly left college in the first place is because he hates recruiting and which in college football is maybe the most important thing you can do as a head coach. So it's only one bad recruiting class. So, and UCLA does get talented players, but I think just the people who are high on USC or sorry, UCLA point to last year, they did beat USC. They ended the year on a high note a lot better than it started it. But I just think other than their quarterback and they do have some talented players, but there's so much pessimism around that program. Um, that is just going to turn into a dumpster fire, I think. Uh, Cause I've been around programs like that where like if the head coach doesn't have that relationship with his players, it really spills over into the field. Yeah. And we, and we talked about, uh, USC stuff opening slate. How about starting at Cincinnati, then home against San Diego State, Oklahoma at Washington State, um, as you break into the Pac 12 schedule? I mean, th- this could go off the rails real quick. Yeah, not to keep harping on the group of five, but Cincinnati and San Diego State are both really, really good teams, especially Cincinnati this year. So I'd honestly, like, with that schedule, the easiest game might be San Diego State, who's beaten one or two Pac-12 teams every year the last two years. Yeah, they uh, they beat Stanford last year, I believe. Um, You know, very good program, but we don't want to spoil the G5 preview too much here, man. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) I, I just don't see I just don't see it with Chip Kelly at UCLA. So it, it'll be interesting to watch. And if I mean if if he catches lightning in a bottle again, great. That's probably good for college football to have a good UCLA and USC. But I just don't see it. Um, where do you want to go in Arizona? Man, well, I think I think Arizona just because of their quarterback is probably more of an intriguing team this year. Um, so the University of Arizona, cause Khalil Tate, when he's healthy, is one of the best quarterbacks, most dynamic quarterbacks in the country. He is last year a dark horse to win the Heisman, but, um, he got hurt in the Utah game actually, and I think even a little bit before that. So, I think the, they're, I've just never been high on Kevin Sumlin as I didn't love him at Texas A&M. Don't love him at Arizona, but, um, Khalil Tate's one of those players who, because of him, He's part of the reason Pac-12 Astro Dark exists. Is like because of him, they could win any game, but also lose by 30 in any game they're in. Yeah, I remember being really excited about seeing what uh, Tate and Sumlin could do together, and then um, watching the BYU Arizona game on opening night last season, and realizing that it may not work at all. Um, I'm with you on Sumlin. I really wish that Arizona had hired a triple option coach for Khalil Tate, although, you know, he, he probably would have transferred out because that's exactly what he tweeted when he said he wasn't going to stay to run an option. But with Tate and J.J. Taylor, they've got playmakers in the backfield and enough to account for there where, you know, they'll sneak up on somebody and spring an upset somewhere, but I'm just not super high on the program at all. Um With Arizona State, I'm pleasantly surprised by what Herm Edwards was able to do in year one and don't really know what to think of them going forward, except that this weird mad scientist experiment might actually work out. Yeah, I was surprised that Arizona State was one because they beat Utah. Uh, Utah would have lost either to Oregon or Colorado down the stretch. If my math was right, Arizona State would have won the Pac-12 South. So they're definitely close. They do lose Manny Wilkins, uh, their quarterback, and Nikhil Harry, who was the 
first round draft pick of the New England Patriots as a wide receiver who I thought was the top three receiver at worst in the country last year. Um, but they do then their quarterbacks, they got two redshirt freshmen, kind of like, uh, North Carolina. They got two redshirt freshmen plus a couple true freshmen, including Jaden Daniels, who was one of the top three or five, uh, dual threat quarterbacks in the country last year in California, a uh, Southern California kid. So they definitely got talent. The, um, Bruce, I see I'm spacing on his name, but, uh, one of their defensive coaches is a giant, former New York Giants player who's on the Super Bowl team and they coached at, uh, Long Beach Poly, a big high school in California. So they, they got the recruiting going. I was looking at their class this year and it wasn't, I think it was like five or six in the Pac-12, but some of the guys they got, I just think fit really well. I think they're underrated players. So Herm Edwards is doing a lot better than I, I thought he'd be even worth a higher than Chip Kelly, but he's been doing well. I do, the quarterback is such a big question mark for them. I think they're going to have at least a couple of guys kind of rotating in and out. And I think without that number one identity guy at quarterback, it's hard to have a, like win the division type of year. Well, uh, in a feather in their cap, then would definitely be the fact that they got five senior offensive linemen slated to start, uh, four who were the primary guys last year and Eno Benjamin to give the ball to. Um, you know, this is a team that's definitely going to stick around in games, and they've got four guys, uh, five guys on the defense who were true freshmen last year and played the bulk of the snaps. So, uh, those guys are all going to be second year starters. So they're returning a whole hell of a lot for a team that's losing a quarterback and, uh, obviously Nikhil Henry is where as well. But I think you could sell me on Arizona State being the second or third best team in this division. I think Arizona State, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat one of USC or Utah. I think because both those programs, Utah and USC, have experienced quarterbacks coming in and Arizona State, is whoever it is, is going to be a new guy. That's why I see them finishing third in the conference, but they are talented. Herm Edwards has done a better job than I thought he would be, so I think they'll be third, but I think those are the top three teams, and then Arizona, Colorado, and UCLA are going to be a second tier or the bottom three teams in the conference. And I guess it would be as good a time as any to talk about Colorado, uh, a team that I often forget is even in the Pac-12. Um, Mel Tucker, I'm familiar with him from his time as the Georgia defensive coordinator. Not really super inspired by kind of another Saban, um, you know, Saban coaching tree hire here. And I'm really Kind of disappointed that they let Mac, Mike McIntyre go, but when you lose the last seven games of the season after starting out five and zero, I guess something's got to change. Yeah, Colorado, they got um, Stephen Montez, their quarterback. I think is pretty good, um, and he's been around for three or four years. Also, they have uh, Chenault is their wide receiver. He's going to yeah. be one of the best playmakers in the country. But outside of that, there's not a lot going on. Colorado's one of those programs where. Football's just not as much of a priority as it is at other schools like a USC or a Washington or an Oregon. So I think big picture-wise, they have potential to be better than they are. But 2019-wise, I think other than Montez and Chenault, they don't really have a lot going for them. Yeah, I just don't really see the defense taking the step forward that it really needs to take. And not that the defense was necessarily bad under Mike McIntyre. I mean, they were awesome when they had Jim Levitt as their defensive coordinator back in 2016, but just kind of fell off the map and didn't really sustain the momentum from that season. But 
I would say Colorado is going to be my last place team in the Pac-12 South here. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I have Colorado at six as well. I can dig it. Well, Jacob, I don't really have much left to say on the Pac-12. I think we both got Washington and Utah having a little rematch in Santa Clara in December. Um, anything else you got here? Um, no, I think basically just like last year, I think Washington will beat Utah in the Pac-12 championship, and I don't think they'll make the playoff because I think Washington loses one or two games at some point but still wins that division. Yeah, I can see a Washington or potentially an Oregon or a Utah sneaking in as the fourth seed in the playoff, but I would not put money on it. Um, Jacob, I know you've had a pretty busy week, both on Tar Heel Blog and on your podcast, so plug away uh, whatever you've got going on. I know you had a special Yeah, so last on- week on my podcast, which is called Double Take with Matt and Jake, it's on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Audioboom. I had a North Carolina cornerback, Patrice Renee, came on, and that was a really fun conversation. I did not know he was born in Haiti, then moved to Canada when he was young, so he's trilingual. I don't know if you knew that, Chad, or not. Um, I did not, but I'm, I've got your podcast on my queue to listen to tomorrow. Yeah, no, it was really, really fun conversation. We talked about Mac Brown and Jay Bateman, the defensive coordinator. We talked about, uh, the Carolina receiving core. Uh, he goes against in practice every day and also the, the secondary, how he's taking on as a leader. Um, I also wrote an article about him and why he's a good fit for Jay Bateman's defense that got published last week. And then this week I'm gonna publish the interview on the Tar Heel blog, just kind of, transcript that so listen to the podcast but also um if you don't have time to listen to it i'm writing those two things one of them's already out regarding patrice her name our conversation that is some awesome stuff there and you know nice little supplement for when we don't have our consistent recording on this here feed but jacob i know you and i will be back to do at least five more of these conversations um so i don't know which one we're going to do next but it's going to be fun either way uh as for me that's going to be kind of the impetus for this week. Um, we do have ACC kickoff, so there will definitely be some content coming from that. Uh, that starts on Tuesday and Wednesday, I believe, and goes into Thursday. Um, keep it locked. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And until next time, go Heels.